0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Company's market show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Joined today by James Norrington. How are you doing James? I'm very well, John. How are you? I'm alright. You've written the cover feature this week? Yes, yes indeed. Excellent. You're tackling one of the uh, the big market myths that we're dealing with at the moment. Yes, yeah, the active passive debate. Um, yeah.
1: which shouldn't really be a debate. Absolutely.
0: We say so we're gonna we've knocked that one out of the park and we'll never talk about it again after this. Algy Hall, how are you doing, Algie?
2: Very well, thanks.
0: And you're here uh, in lieu of Jonas this week. Yes,
2: I am uh, the Jonas Standing.
0: Excellent, because we, we need to talk about house builders. We do. We really do. It's, we've had a lot of news in the last couple of weeks, and not all of it's good.
2: No. I mean, it's a very popular sector. It's, I mean, it was um, a real darling of a sector, probably till around the start of this year. Um, a lot of people still were setting a lot of a stall by it, but um, I think nerves have started to creep in, and it's kind of being substantiated some of that worry now. We've had updates and results from um, Cress Nicholson... Berkeley, and also McCarthy and Stone. I think we had something bovis as well,
0: which wasn't so and bad, And bovis as
2: well, which wasn't so bad, which is why I'm not mentioning it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, it doesn't, doesn't really fit the
0: story. Well, Forget although, about that one.
2: Although in some ways it does, because um, I, I, I think um, certain parts of the market are stronger than others.
0: Yes, absolutely. Essentially. I us mean, let, let's, uh, let, let's crack on with house builders. I think, I think this is the thing. You know, lots of our readership would have got into house builders and done very well out of them. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think the, the wind started to come out the sails... Uh, after the referendum
2: yes and, yeah and the they, nervousness they, high value i mean the valuations have been very high in the sector which uh, um is called nervousness and everyone knows it's very cyclical and profits um vary a lot um, you know top top of the cycle versus bottom of the cycle
0: so that's let's start with that because um Barclay this week have basically said yes, profit. You know the, the numbers look great in their results, mm-hmm. um, but this is this is as good as it gets.
2: Yes, yeah, so, yeah. Essentially, we're past the peak. I mean, and, and also, I mean, the interesting thing about Barclays they came up out with such a clear plan to how they'd handle the next cycle when um, when, when the cycle began. That now they just they're just managing their way through it. That we know almost how they're, how they're going to play this. They're, they're still returning capital. They're making the most out of out of the markets they're in, but it's, it's, the situation clearly isn't so good. Planning's got more difficult um, with with the new, with the mayor that we have now, because because it's um,
0: focused on London primarily. Because it's
2: focused on yes, yeah, London, yeah, and the I mean the southeast and, but London's a big a big focus.
0: I mean that's quite an interesting thing uh, to observe. Planning's got more difficult yet we have this house building crisis, you know, where there was a massive shortage. Well, you I, would have thought that the powers that be were doing everything that... And yeah, I and mean, think I they mean, were doing everything they could to make the planning process well, easier.
2: I, I, I think the thing to um, appreciate, and this kind of plays into the bovis point, our, our housing crisis is, isn't about not having enough luxury flats selling for <laughs> astronomical <laughs> amounts. It's about having actual affordable um, accommodations. If you remember, we... We went from a situation where there had to be a lot more affordable housing in um in every scheme to one where we there there didn't have to be so much and you know so it's, it's just you know these um it's a question about how you approach this situation so, but um clearly clearly but this- a house builder like Berkeley which is building for the very top end it's um a lot, lots of investors are interested in people who are very wealthy and will you know we'll get property elsewhere.
0: Yeah, because I mean so I look at I look at Berkeley share price and actually, you know, this mm-hmm. year it looks all right. I mean yeah, compared I, to some of the other sh- house building sh- share price graphs, absolutely. this is, this is going it's, the right way still.
2: And and it's I mean it's it's a real quality player. We know it's going to be looking to re- return capital to shareholders. It's not going to, you know, chase land prices up and things like that. Um or, or that seems to be, you know, the roadmap it's outlined. And it's and it's just doing everything it said it would. So um Whilst um, people may be disappointed that they're saying we're past the peak now, they're actually handling the cycle um, in a a very um, shrewd way, it still looks.
0: And one of the main attractions of house building shares recently has has been these special returns of capital, uh, these special dividends, uh, Mm -hmm. and Bartley's going to continue with its its planned uh, programme of extra returns to shareholders. And that's important.
2: And, yeah, I mean, and it's important um, not only because it's money in shareholders' pockets, because it means it won't overextend, which is a classic mistake builders make. They um, buy huge amounts of land at the top of the cycle, get ready to build loads and loads of houses, and suddenly no one wants to buy any houses, and they've got all the, you know this massive... Um, amount of um, asset on their balance sheet which isn't worth anything like it used to be worth
0: but you could argue the, I mean the builders they, they would have learned their lesson from the financial crisis where that's exactly what they did it yes, yeah. and they got themselves in all sorts of financial
2: I mean they do do it every cycle though you've got to remember <laughs> they, <laughs> they don't ever have tend to learn they haven't done it quite so but badly they haven't this done time around so yeah, yeah, but they're not
0: going out yet. buying huge amounts of speculative land
2: no I mean the, the, yeah, land values have um, really you know not, not run away yet if they're going to at all
0: but they are ex-growth in a sense. They, their ex-growth, they're, they're now becoming income based. Well,
2: and I think, um, I think, uh, uh, Chris Nicholson's really, you know, exemplifies um, what people are, you know, concerned about. I mean, what, what no because one... Because that, what, what ugl- that
0: is an ugly share price graph.
2: That is. And they've had um, downgrades all throughout the year. Um, there were some hopes, I think, in March when they had a trading update that actually, you know, things were levelling off, but then there have been a whole raft of other, of new downgrades now. Um And, uh, I mean, they're they're facing rising costs, tougher end markets, and um, a squeeze on margins is a a consequence. And um, people just aren't confident in what they're saying because um, they keep on coming out with these warnings.
0: I mean, Chris Nicholson is a mass house builder, so the kind of estates you see popping up, you know, all over the country.
2: Yes, yeah, but probably less exposed to or less um, able to benefit from help to buy, which is a thing which is kind of... Really keeping um, uh, other house house builders afloat who are down that end of the market, it's so, supporting prices. I it's it's
0: the Difference. What is it that Crescent Crescent's doing that that means it's not really benefiting from this help to buy tailwind? Well,
2: it's, it, with the builders, it's just a mix of what what they're selling, and and generally, if something's more affordable, then um, you're you're going to benefit from help to help to buy.
0: So, help to buy is really aimed supporting at, uh, at the, the fir- first time buyer market as much as anything else. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we've moved both of both Barclays and Chris Nicholson to hold. That the latest news from the sector was McCarthy and Stone, which is slightly different. It's a again. slightly
2: different beast, yeah, because so, it's retirement um, apartments and and homes. They've got other issues apart. I mean, the slowing housing market is a problem because it means um, the people who would be moving into their properties can't sell these large houses that so they probably you know had a family in. And, and they
0: definitely don't qualify for help to buy. So there's oh, no, no tailwind for the houses there's, that, that, there's no that McCarthy's there. would-be customers w- might be selling?
2: No, ab- ab- absolutely. There's no, there's no government support really coming through for anyone. And then also um, McCarthy have um, – they, they they sell on the freeholds. because There's a whole issue with grand rents at the moment. The government looking to basically curb what's been viewed by some as the exploitation of um, – People in these properties.
0: Well, some 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 other builders have already kind of you know fessed up to this, and
2: yes, yeah, and and yes, yeah, so, uh, so Maca- this is a profitable stream of um, income for for them, which is potentially being removed. And
0: I think McCarthy and Stone are seeking an exemption from this particular investigation. On the basis um, that they're providing some kind of you know service, providing retirement properties.
2: Although they are, yeah, but although they are, they do sell sell the um, the grand rents on.
0: Yeah, it, I mean it's very interesting. I, I've actually, funny enough, I've actually looked at these flats. Not for me. I'm not that old yet. I'm, I'm only the same age as you, Algie. Yeah,
2: well, to you
0: the younger. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I looked for my father-in-law, and yeah, they are very expensive flats, and you pay a lot on the. Uh, on, on the service charges well if you go for one of what they call i think they call it a lifestyle package and as far as i understand it they're exploring other tenure options so these were flats you bought on a leasehold basis now they're looking at rental options and part ownership options yes
2: yeah well they, yeah they, this strategic review they've announced St- strategic is, review well yeah which in, uh, in other words our business model isn't it's not working, working. like we'd like it to <laughs> what are we going to do and obviously that's yeah that's the cause for lots of nervousness with investors because there is. The strategic review that then resets expectations about what returns is kind of this business. I'm not saying necessarily McCarthy and Stone, but what returns a business will make in the future.
0: Yeah, I must. I, I must. Have, I, must have, I look at this one, and I'm, I'm slightly troubled by this. I mean, I, I actually think that you know Help to Buy has supported, and and I've written this in my editorial this week. Help to Buy has been there to support first-time buyers, but actually there was a very large market of people who. Well, moving into retirement or through retirement and looking to downsize, and McCarthy and Stone should be in a sweet spot.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, all, all the demographic evidence and the evidence about the actual supply of purpose-built retirement um, accommodation suggests totally in the long term this is a great market, but it's actually how... Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, a great, a great market, and this is <laughs> how, why... this is, why, this is working now? With well, a great market, absolutely, the demographics are there, and this is why I look at McCarthy and Stone and think, you've got this wrong. Well, yeah, yeah, some, you, you, because because you, you should be, you know, doing extremely well given the trends that are there.
2: Or, it, or is it that or is it just that the property markets become, uh, you know, it, it's kind of the, the wealth that's been created and it mean, means the people at the top just can't find buyers.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. I, some, I can see how that's a possibility. Um, hence why they're looking to change their model. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm also slightly concerned, and, and, you know, Graham and I were talking, Graham Davis, our digital editor, were talking about uh, some of the schemes in Essex, which I alluded to in my editorial last week. Um, and we, we found a site out near Graham, which is fully sold. Um, and when we looked in more detail, there's a lot of what they call home exchange or park exchange going on. So the builder seems to be taking on the role of the buyer of the yeah. purchases that people are trying to of the and properties was, people trying yeah, to get rid of,
2: McCarthy and Stone offers uh, party exchange, also. And, and
0: they do that, yeah. So
2: it's kind of yeah, a balance sheet, which is always an issue for a house builder because they have to have such massive balance sheets to to do business. Then yeah, exactly. You've you've you're adding more in more risk into that balance sheet through actually buying second hand properties. I yeah, mean, I, it's uh, you know yeah, I, it's, an, it's another layer of risk. I, I don't think the numbers
0: are huge right now. So I think I think uh, when when I looked, McCarthy and Stone had about thirty two million quid of. Park Exchange Mm -hmm. property on their balance sheet, which doesn't sound like a very large number in the grand scheme of a company like this. But it's gone from nothing like two years ago, 18 months ago. And you just wonder, you know, it just seems to me a sign that, you know, these incentives are increasingly important to drive the housing market and government largesse has been very important in driving the housing Absolutely. market and and you just wonder how, how long it could continue
2: yeah i mean it's <laughs> it's a big it's every, everyone's got their opinion or multiple opinions in in my case so <laughs> how as <your> tips <laughs> editor what do we
0: point. think of house builders i mean generally if i you know if one of the team come along and say right well, i really want to buy this
2: well, I, I think it depends on um, you know what what they're doing. I mean, I, I think a lot of the regeneration uh, companies, Jonas has um, been finding very in- interesting cases.
0: So, like for them, you and I, for example? It,
2: well, yeah, exactly. That that um, that t- ha- Harworth he um, read about the other, um, the other day, oh, so the old U- UK, UK coal, coal. Yeah, yeah, which I mean, which just has ridiculous amounts of land. But I mean, they they're generating real value from it in a fairly stagnant um, uh, real estate market. And uh, you know, any anyone who's um, benefiting from help to buy which i think runs till 2021 hmm. um from memory so um you know that you know that that is a support
0: but, the, but the, these companies tend to be outside london in the southeast that's that, that their sweet spot tends to be
2: yeah yeah more more um, regional yeah, yeah in midlands often in the north um i mean no, the, the thing is we're past the peak of the site The really exciting part uh, of, of the cycle for house builders is when they've been completely flattened they're not making any money you know they've had a big rights issue you know they they everything's gone to the wall and then they rebuild and the margins just take off the rating you know it does it does that completely perverse thing of being next to nothing at the bottom and then just when when it should be you know high pricing and the recovery but then it kind of expands to you know the, the good times are going to last forever kind of um yeah ratings and um Yes, and, we, and we're kind of, we're definitely towards the, you know, the the high points. It seems. So you've got to be we're much more late se- cycle. You've
0: got to be much more selective, and a, think, a lot more selective. I, I think James, uh, I, talking to uh, you about out the Alpha report we published on house builders, which uh, you you kind of uh, you've taken over the editing duties for. I mean, the, the, the conclusion of that report that Jonas wrote was exactly the same. That the, the value is, is in the fringes in these interesting
1: little companies. There is still still room for growth. That was the title of the report. So it's um, but, but it's not a case of buying the whole sector as, as it might have been a couple of years ago. So it's re- really a, really a stock picker's
0: game.
2: I, I suppose you know what what you could say also from that stock picking perspective is you look at a company like Crest and arguably it's quite cheap um, at, at the moment. On if if but if you're prepared to have a kind of a more benign view of the market, if you think it's going to sure a late cycle. You're not going to get all that excitement, but um, things aren't going to fall off a cliff. It's going to kind of, you know, trundle on quite nicely the housing market. If you want to take that point of view, then there's definitely an argument to say a company like Crest, which has been really punished for its profits warnings, um, you know, is a kind of contrarian buy. But uh, mm. but again yeah, you could uh, be catching a falling knife.
0: Yeah, that that would be a very brave contrarian buy. I <laughs> I would suggest. Uh, actually this this ties into your stock screen this week this discussion around house builders algae, um which is uh, your small cap genuine value. Yes, screen. yeah. Because one of the companies that pops out of this screen this week is a company called Forterra.
2: Yes. Which is a brick yeah. maker. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah no, I've, I've I've taken the line that um with you know with these issues in the house building sector uh, but, you know, there's still a housing shortage and, um, you know, you go picks and shovels. And, um, you, and, you know, a company like Forte, I mean, the brickmakers, I mean, it's a very interesting um, industry because there are hardly any, only about three of them, of any note, control about 90% of the market. And um, you can't get planning for brickmaking sites very easily at all. So there's no real new competition coming in. Mm. Imports are more expensive than domestically produced bricks. And um, so really, there's um, as long as demand's going up, which um, if the government's to get anywhere near its target for, you know, 300,000 housing starts a the year, then, you know, buildings got to increase massively. And we mainly build with bricks in, uh, in, in the UK. Then, um, you know, these guys should be making serious money. And the margins they make, I mean, I, actually, because not being too familiar with Voltaire, just looking at the margins this company makes, it's incredible. It's near 20% margin mm. for making bricks so um then you know it's so it's you know it's a very valuable
1: in the report as well on house builders we did a a small screen on the um just a sector screen on the building suppliers as well and they they did they look pretty good i can't remember the numbers off the top of my head but it's it's all all in there if you're an alpha subscriber
0: must admit i'm i'm in the process of trying to build a little extension at the moment i need a thousand bricks and they're really expensive
2: (laughs) (laughs) getting quick they're only getting (laughs) pricey they
0: are so expensive it's unbelievable
2: well, yeah. no, it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting um, thing. But I mean, it's also, you know, the, the, these stocks, they're cheap on the metric I looked at, but Forterra is most expensive stock from the screen. So they're not screamingly cheap, well, so, necessarily. I
0: mean, it's an interesting screen. It's done well over the years. Not so well last mm-hmm. year compared mm-hmm. to the market. But um, I mean, t- just tell us the principles about this uh, this, this, this particular screen, LG, and, uh, and who actually came out looking best.
2: So um, this screen, it looks for um, reasonably priced growth or it looks for cheap growth. So it um, it's a bit like it, it uses a ratio, a bit like a peg ratio, but it um, takes into account how much cash or debt a company has and what dividends it's paying. This is, so this is
0: your genuine value. This ratio. is a g-
2: genuine, Ge- t- genuine value screen.
0: TM <laughs> t- Algae Hall.
2: <laughs> I feel so when, whenever I give a ratio a title because I can't I can't find anyone else kind of necessarily using it i mean probably i'm sure lots of people do but um, I, I kind of give it a title that i kind of cringe when i have to rewrite it because it's so it's always <laughs> i always get over excited and um yeah so genuine value so it's a souped up peg ratio really so it, it, it looks for that it looks for um good forecast earnings growth but nothing too outlandish you know in a reasonably um Finance balance sheet, a bit of and a bit of share price momentum. And
0: you've you fine tuned it this year with another test, haven't you? But yeah, so, this year
2: I've, um, I, and I did this for the large version. I mean, because it's a growth screen, I found um, the screens which I run which use earnings revisions. So that's if a broker forecast, um, let's say, let's say his for, uh, the, he or she was forecasting for, you know, 2020. You follow you follow what those forecasts for twenty twenty do over you know a, a certain time period, and they'll either go up or down. So
0: these are our staircase graphs that we like.
2: They? Yes, exactly. So um, it's been very powerful. It seems um, just looking for stocks where those forecasts have been increased a lot mm. over a time period. So I've just introduced that so that rather than looking at companies which um, look like they're offering growth at very good value but the growth is actually not really going to come through because forecasts have been coming down. I'm I'm just... Focusing more with this screen on the companies where forecasts have been going up,
0: earnings upgrade cycle,
2: earnings upgrade cycle, yeah, it's
0: indeed. The magic words. <laughs> so uh, the best company that uh, came out of this screen was T. Clark.
2: Were the, well, the cheapest. cheapest, and the cheapest the is best. not necessarily the best because no. oh, T. Clark. And um, it's interesting just to write it up because there's so many things about this company which you just think, oh no, well the, no wonder it's so cheap. So um. I think um, my, my first line is investors are never likely to want to pay up for a low-margin cyclical company that has to manage the risk associated with carrying large working capital items.
0: So I remember this company. It used to be an electrician.
2: Well, oh, it is, mean, basically. So, I mean, but what, what it's done is, is, yeah, it does fit out. So, you know, the electricals, you know, and, you know all, all those bits and bobs. But it's become very specialist. And the, because the requirements of fit-out are becoming you know, so much um, more complicated. We, you know, companies want to be far more digitalized and, you know, health and safety, et cetera. It does seem like it's um, being able to, you know, it's tiny margins are being pushed up. So it's kind of introduced a margin target to take its operating margin from 2.7% to 3%, which obviously is tiny. But, I mean, you know, there's, um, there's so many, you know, costs involved just with, you know, doing fit-out. That um you know explains tiny margins, but it means lots can go wrong if um anything goes wrong. Anyway, kind of managing that process. A source of, nice. ideas, a source of ideas. A of ideas, not necessarily a buy Yeah, exactly. Well, like, you know these these ideas will not be for for everyone. But I mean, but then you know, a company like T. Clark, you can imagine it being re-rated fairly substantially from um you know the current forward P of six times. It's you know it it, it you know that that tells you about the risk involved, but. People, um, you know, during a cycle, people start to overlook risk quite often. You see large ratings from these kind of stocks. You just kind of—they're not—they're not forever stocks, really, unless you're going to completely close your eyes and
0: you say that, cross your fingers. I covered this company more than a decade ago.
2: Yes, right. I mean, if oh, well, no, else, no, I, it's
0: a survivor.
2: No, no, it's, I, I don't mean the business won't be around forever. I just mean um, it's, 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 it's not a, like it's, a, it's a not secret. like Unilever.
0: It's... Well, we've written about them this week as well. <laughs> You might have some decisions to make there if the old, uh, move to Holland goes ahead. Well,
2: yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's quite a big thing. It it? is,
0: it is quite a big thing. Let's, um, thank you, Algie. Let's move over to to the cover feature now, James, which is excellent, which you've written this week. And it's a debate that we've, we've had many times in the office, which has been happening more broadly. Uh, And it's the idea that active management has has had its day and that we should be buying ETFs. And I think what we've concluded is that that there is much more to this discussion than, uh, than is, is being said.
1: I think fundamentally uh, act, good active managers do still add value um, and also for a self-directed investors chronicle reader, don't give up hope. Um, being a good stock picker can still you know, make you a lot of money in the long term.
0: So, so, so why has this come about? I mean ETFs are cheap. Uh, and I say ETFs, but when it's more passive and that would include tracking tracker funds as well. But ETFs have become a huge, huge market for assets under management. Why is this discussion
1: being framed the way it is in a word money i think it's five trillion dollars um worth under management in in etfs now uh it's obviously that's it's, it's a huge competition that money's going from somewhere it's coming from active um in some case obviously that it's um the, the, the net outflows of active going into passive so it's, it's people fighting over the same slice of, of, of revenue, really.
0: And, and the active management industry, or certainly parts of the active management industry, haven't exactly done themselves any favours over the years.
1: No, I mean, we've had MIFID 2 coming in, um, which is, a lot of that's about transparency of fees, performance, and suitability for investors, and, and you know, the, a lot of uh, the active fund industry has made a rod for their own backs by um, charging people too much for too little in the past, but uh, that's not to say that, you know, that, that everyone's been bad. I mean, w- what I've done in the future is, is I've I looked at a, a measure called the information Information ratio, um, which actually measures uh, the returns, um, it's a measure of, of risk return based on the, the deviation from a benchmark, which shows you know how a, a, an active manager is, is adding value. And of, um, of the majority of funds that I surveyed, um, most of the active managers had positive information ratios, which meant that they were adding value. Okay,
0: but active managers are often criticised for high fees. I mean, what, how, does the information ratio take that into consideration?
1: Uh, well, it, it, it doesn't as a ratio, but, but the data I took was there was performance net of fees. So in our survey, um, it was net of fees. So actually, 135 active funds um, that I surveyed um, for the UK over the last 12 months, uh, they actually had positive information ratio, which basically means they're adding value for money.
0: Okay, so this is interesting. So now we've sort of created a bit of a level playing field here. And I guess what we're trying to say is, it's horses for courses. There are certain things that you may want to go
1: active for, certain
0: things that ETFs do better.
1: I mean, I'm a fan of ETFs. I think um, it's it's democratised uh, the investing landscape. It allows people to get access to whole-of-markets. But th- that's that's what they primarily should be used for, is a cheap way to get access to a, to a whole market. What Investing passively in a market, I um, know, Chris Dillow's a big fan of it. Um, it's basically what it enables you to do is, is to capture certain premiums that you might miss as, a, as an, as an actor. In mean, the UK, for example, have written in the feature, Momentum has been the the biggest risk premium. We hear a lot about Smart Beta ETFs, t- target Momentum. Actually, Smart Beta is probably... Uh, I, I'm a bit more sceptical of, of some of the smart beta strategies. I think you uh, described it as dumb alpha in the future didn't you? Uh, it's not my term, but it's Okay. Been... <laughs> uh, I've written about smart beta in the past, and, um, and they're, you know, but that, that, again, it sort of shows that the passive industry is actually being a bit disingenuous about the benefits of active by effectively trying to... Replicate uh, some of the benefits of active in a passive way, and that that's probably why people have fought back and called it dumb alpha. Because when it can go wrong, factor investing can go very wrong.
0: Uh, And you do pay more for those those funds. Yeah, and you pay more more anyway. Exactly.
1: You know, those can actually be more expensive than some some mutual funds. So,
0: so ETS, you know, for example, if you wanted to to something to track the U.S. market, that's the way.
1: Well, historically, the the, you know the S and P 500. It's been very difficult um, for active managers to consistently outperform. Um, and it's a, it's a cheap and easy way to track, but the the, the main return, um, you know, in the particularly uh, under well the QE regime, which uh, ended in 2014, it was it was sort of quality stocks and income stocks went up steadily, very low volatility. That continued for a couple of years after the the, the Fed ended its QE program um, with a accommodative rate policy, which is being tightened now, of course. But they those big stocks when they're going up steadily, um, it's very difficult to outperform.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But there are instances where y- you've argued in the future that active actually is better.
1: Yes, I think um, in falling markets, uh, active um, active managers can add value.
0: I guess that's something we should all um, be thinking about quite seriously right
1: now. I mean,
0: we've had some serious wobbles this week. and uh
2: been a nervy market, definitely, this year.
0: A- absolutely. The markets the markets are you know, sitting at all-time highs, so, you know is now the time to be sitting on a passive strategy?
1: Well, I mean, I think that we've just gone through the stock screens. Um, you could passively, which, you know, take a smart beta approach and buy everything in G stock screens. But I, I don't think, uh, you know, he would advocate doing that. <laughs> so,
2: Well, yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, if someone's prepared to take the risk, I mean, this is, in fact, something I find so interesting about people's comparisons between active and passive is that there just seems to be a complete oversight of the behavioural aspect to this, which is that, if um, and active strategies will not outperform all the time, if they're properly active, they will underperform the market for periods. It's like the long-term outperformance, which is what you're going for. And, um, but what happens in the fund management industry is as soon as someone starts underperforming for you know not very long, I mean, think of Neil Woodford, this amazing long-term record. Suddenly money flows out. It it's leaving the door. And that active strategy... If it is um, actually, you know, worth its salt, it will come back. But it'll come back with far less money invested behind it because all that money will rush to the next hot strategy, which is just about to fall off a cliff because, you, you know, grand runs can't be sustained. So when people look at Active, they're looking at this behavioural thing, this kind of thing, performance chasing. So, it's uh, you know, it's the, the, the kind of... Um, the comparisons that's pe- that people make are kind of fairly loony in a way because, um, you know you you're you're looking at you know movements of money as well as the actual integrity of the active strategy which is actually what people should be interested in and then they should try and um, find a way of behaving in a sensible way when it comes to investing
0: i mean if indeed I and mean, if we had active managers who kind of changed their strategy with the wind you would you would kind of question what they're doing well, well yeah no, some, exactly some but, that, but that's but,
1: and they're the bad ones
2: yeah well, absolutely. But, but also that's what the market does i mean like yeah the individual active managers so you can have you know the good active managers can be there and consistent but their funds will be shut down because no one's interested you know you you look at the period of underperformance of value recently and um, there just aren't very many value investors left in the game, and uh, so you know when if, if value starts to outperform again, active management will look silly because everyone's in growth. But that's not because hmm. um, you know active management doesn't work. It's just um, it's just the way money flows. People behave, you know. Very foolishly with their money by chasing performance a lot of the time,
1: which is you know. one of the um, the arguments for for passive is is to is to take that uh, that emotion out of it for, for buying a, a mark mm-hmm. buying the market. But uh, it's really sort of. I, I think I come to conclusion in the future. Really, it's, it's best to take an agnostic approach. That that, that you can have um, passive make a very good, cheap core holding for a lot of asset classes, um, and, and a lot of regions. But 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 you'll also want to believe on something and 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 back an active manager or, or back yourself to pick certain stocks to change your weighting as well. And I, and, I,
0: and I think you talk about some areas of uh, some asset classes where active actually will you know where where you would where you can't see how a passive approach. Could, out- could be an active manager because of the very nature of how you must well, invest in those Talking about
1: property as um, an asset class, I mean, if I was speculating purely on the direction of real estate prices, then passive vehicles are OK. But in reality, if you're a But proper, why would you even do that? I mean, that's, yeah, well, is, it's daft. I mean, you might as well... Uh, yeah. It's just speculating on anything. Um, but, you know, I'd rather sort of have somebody managing with property. It's, 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 we've, we've looked at it with, with the companies. We've talk, talk, spoken about there's such variation in regions, uh, business models. Um, uh, we, we've got, you know, different rent models for, for real estate and, and different types of So All of that needs oversight.
0: Yeah, we see, I mean, we've had uh, some of our events, and fantastic property managers. And, you know, they talk about active management. When, when they're talking about active management, they're talking about literally, you know, managing a property at the ground level. You know, and it's extraordinary the the the, the 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 how close they are to the coalface of 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 managing the properties that are in their books. It's extraordinary. So yeah, I, I, I think that's a really great example of where active managers do add a lot of value. Bonds, I think, is something else. F- we
1: fixed uh, income. So fixed income, uh, I I I like um, for for short duration um, bonds, uh, sort of high quality liquid issues of buying an ETF for for say you know one to you know, one you know one to three year. Duration bonds in, um, in in the U.S. Treasuries, that's a t- cheap, easy way to, 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 to access that with an ETF. Um, but anything more complex than that, um, longer duration issues, um, more credit risk, st- more strategic bond management. There's so many risk variables there. Um, there's reinvestment risk. There's liquidity risk. There's there's obviously Credit risk um, and, uh, and and duration, which is the length of time for the effective um, maturity of a, of a bond, there's all these variables, you need somebody to to, over- to have some oversight on that. Playing around on the yield curve, um, it's it's difficult to do as a passive investor.
0: And it's funny because you know we, we often talk about how ECFs are great vehicles for, for putting in uh, putting asset allocation strategies into practice, but but they might not be the best vehicle for doing certain aspects of that asset allocation well,
1: they are what, what they are brilliant for is actually benchmarking your own um active work because it's it, it gives you something that's investable to see you know this is what you could have won um and, and then actually to measure your choices against um but you know in a, a sensible portfolio strategy the best thing to do is to be agnostic and, and choose a mix of products and active for passive styles and also your own stock selection
0: well, that's the end of that debate, then. <laughs> <laughs> Done. No, I think it's very good, James. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's kind of something that we've, we've always concluded anyway. That, 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 yeah, you kind of take each, each vehicle as it comes. Um, and you choose what's best. For the for the right circumstances, excellent. Thanks, James. Thank you, Algy. Lots more in the magazine this week. Uh, Lots of results, although that's going to start to pick up as you go ahead. Emma has written a great feature on the wealth management industry, which very much ties into this whole asset allocation, asset management debate that we're talking about. A lot of money going into discretionary there, uh, and a lot of M and A. Your stock screen, which we've already discussed, an excellent uh, second feature from Tom Dines on wealth self help books, uh, which is which is really quite interesting. Guess what it's all about again? Behavioural finance. It's, it's just how we repeat ourselves week in, week out. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, the usual news uh, and the usual comments from Simon and and, uh, and such and like. And you've in the economics page again this yes, week, James. yes. Yeah, no, no more Trump lovings this week.
1: No, I mean that wasn't really a loving of the man. It was more. Um, so I, I get a bit. I get a bit fed up with uh, with the way that the the the, 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 you know, the the policies. I mean, economically, there is a huge risk of of, of you know protectionism, and and it, and it isn't good. But strategically, uh, you know, it's about more than economics for the US, and it, it, they're prepared to take a bit of short term pain because they're worried about their global position with the Chinese. I think that's what it's about. Um,
0: Indeed, I have alluded to the same the same uh, tariff uh, war in in my editorial this week because Trump, Trump this week has uh, threatened another two hundred billion of tariffs against yeah okay. you know, Chinese companies on the basis that they're stealing chi- uh, American intellectual property, which uh, they are, aren't which they think? have been for years. Yeah. I mean, they have been. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. You know, even the very largest globalist companies would say the same thing. So, yeah. Well done, James. Someone had to say it. (laughs) And thank you all for listening. Pick up the magazine slaying the active passive myth, how asset management's biggest debate is misleading investors. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Speak soon.
2: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.